church as we look at God's Word. We are in a series on marriage, as Eric said. Uh, we're in Ephesians 5 this week, 25 through 27, those three verses, very important verses that really give us the purpose of our marriages. 525, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. Gail and I had been married 13 years when we ran into a, a ministry crisis. We were at a church that wasn't working out, and I felt like a failure as a pastor. This was the summer of 93, by the way. We started Wood's Edge in that, that fall. But at the time, we were in crisis. We didn't know what we would do. Maybe we'd move and go back to Oregon. A friend of mine said, there's a, a man downtown who helps pastors in crisis, and he was not a professional counselor. He was a businessman, retired businessman, who uh, now just was a lay counselor, helped people. Gail and I went down there in the summer of 19, 1993, early summer, and we would go back every week of the summer. I bet it didn't take him long at all to discern that our biggest need was not our ministry crisis, but our marriage needs. And he began probing into our marriage and helping us with marriage. He dealt with ministry. In fact, we would not have started Wood's Edge apart from John Brigner's influence. But he focused on marriage, and he had all kinds of specific things to uh, run by us and in-depth things. But yet, I, I've thought about since, why, what, what was it about John Brigner that God used to change our marriage? What happened that summer? And I think maybe more than anything, it was the example that John Brigner had. He'd been married 40 years, and he was clearly devoted to his wife. In fact, he said to me at one point, he said, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about how to make Eileen happy. Um, he said to me that, Jeff, at the throne of God at the end of our lives, we husbands will be evaluated more than anything by how we loved our wives. And a little bit of a gulp factor for me because I could raise the bar. Uh, he was clearly devoted to his wife. There was a woman that lived out here who also knew the Brickners, spent time with them. She said, man, they're like newlyweds. They're crazy about each other. Just look at the way they love each other. And I think perhaps more than anything, uh, the example that John had of loving his wife, very much like this passage, calls us to love his wife. And God used John Brickner to change our marriage and change our lives, and we would not have started Wood's Edge. Paul says in verse 25 that we're beginning with today, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I mean, the bar is almost too high, Paul. Calm down a little bit. But the picture, the example of what a marriage should look like, should, we, we look at Christ loving the church. Now, not only do we see it in 25 through 27, but the passage we're going to see, uh, uh, not today, in verse 29, he says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And so again, we have our model 
for husbands loving wives, and by implication, as we saw last week, for wives loving their husbands, the model is Christ loving the church, His bride, His body. Now, before I unpack the passage about marriage, which is what it's all about, let me just say, all through the New Testament, you see the centrality of the church. You see in the New Testament that um, whereas God's plan in the Old Testament was a nation, the Jews, Israel, His plan in the New Testament is this international body of people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who come together, mostly Gentiles actually, but Jews and Gentiles, all united in Jesus Christ, is the church. And you see this all through the New Testament, but few passages more tender than this one about the way Christ feels about the church. Now, people, uh, this is, uh, well, people today often disdain the church because they've got some very flawed people in it, people like you, people like me. And, uh, but Christ doesn't have that attitude. He loves His church, flawed people and all. And if we are followers of Christ, we'll love the church too. We'll love His bride, His body. Uh, it's the center of His plan. That, that means uh, not the national average of 1.7 times a, a month uh, showing up at church, but the church is part of your regular worship, part of your regular giving, certainly part of your praying, getting involved in the life of the church as a vital part, not a tangential part. So this is a tender, tender passage about Christ's heart for the church. And as has been well said, the church is the hope of the world. So back to marriage. In the Old Testament, there was the great picture of God and Israel as husband and wife. And Israel was like the the, the bride of God, but unfortunately she was often a wayward bride, an adulterous wife. Then in the New Testament, Jesus does something striking. This imagery of God and Israel all through the Old Testament, and He shows up and says, I'm the groom. I'm the groom, putting himself in the place of God. And by the way, that's the way Jesus does so many things in the New Testament, just assuming as clear as the day that he is God. He says, I am the groom. Paul picks up on that imagery and says the imagery now is Christ in the church, no longer the Father in Israel. And in fact, the whole Bible will culminate with what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, this great wedding banquet when we as the church are united to God. And so, What does that tell us about our relationship with God? That God would choose the most intimate, loving, human relationship and says, that is what my relationship with you is to be about. Well, that tells you a whole lot. It tells you that this book is not about religion or about duty or about ritual. It is about love affair. The Bible, God is all about love affair, him being crazy in love with you, and his deepest desire for you is to love him back. And that's what he says, the greatest commandment, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength. It's a love affair. It's a love affair. Okay, and this passage says, Christ, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he has five verbs to describe the way Christ loved the church. The verbs loved, gave, sanctify, cleanse, present. He also has three purpose statements to kind of unpack the way and why Christ loved the church. He has three that statements, that He might sanctify her, that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, and that, he might, that, that she might be holy and blameless. It's going to appear in glory. 
And all of this deeper level is, is, about, the, is about marriage. But Christ loved the church, so that means Christ loves, not the church in theory, but actual churches like Wood's Edge, flaws and all. Now, it doesn't mean that Christ loves this campus and these buildings. He doesn't care a flip about that screen up there. He loves you. You're the church. We're the church, the people. This is what God is saying about His heart for you. Love you. Love you. Christ loved the church. It's His heart for you. He loved the church so much He gave Himself up for her. That is, He sacrificed His life because we would need to die eternally for our sin against the holy God. Christ steps in as our substitute. He dies on the cross, takes our place, pays for our sin. He gave Himself up for us. That's the gospel. Why? Why? The third verb, that He might sanctify her. Sanctify her. Uh, the word in the original language is, almost looks exactly like the word for holy. It's part of the same root word. If you have a, a modern translation, it might say, so that he might make her holy. Okay, holy, that's a problem because some of us, when we think of the word holy, we think kind of pious or self-righteous. That's not the biblical word holy. Holy means being like Jesus Christ. That is, in all of his splendor and glory. For example, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. This is holy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's holy. And this is God's aim for the church, for you. It's hard to believe, but one day you're going to be completely and perfectly full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be something that He might sanctify her. Time out. Pause just for a moment. I want to give you a Bible study tip because I know you guys love God's Word. When you're reading the Bible and you're studying the Bible, it is very helpful when you come across difficult words that you don't use in everyday conversation, like sanctify, or even important words that you do use but you sense that's an important word, it is very helpful to check multiple translations. Now, you can have a, a raft of, of hardcover Bibles out, but today, you know, the uh, technology has made this so simple because you can also have one of several free apps like the Blue Letter Bible or Version or Bible.is, any of those, and you can Click on the verse, verse 25, which says they might sanctify her. Is it 25 or is that 26? Whatever verse it is. Um, click on that verse, and the, if the Blue Letter Bible will come up, one of the options is check various translations. And I've arranged about six or seven modern translations in the order that I want them, from most literal to most free. And by scanning down those and seeing how they translate sanctify, I'm going to get a good picture and feel of it. And so... I just encourage you, in your Bible reading, your Bible study, for key words or hard words, check multiple translations. One of the best things you can do. In some ways, it's a little bit like a substitute for learning Greek and Hebrew, which, you know, saves a lot of time. So, <laughs> that he might make the church holy, glorious, beautiful, Christ-like in every way, Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that's a little difficult too. Uh, translations don't help much on this one. Most likely, from all of the New Testament, this is what it means, that when you hear the Word of the Gospel and, and trust God, when you trust Christ, you accept the Gospel, you are cleansed from all your sins. 
having cleansed by the washing of water with the Word. Most likely, that's what it refers to. But let it sink in. If you're in Christ, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, this is who you are. You are a man or a woman, boy or girl, who has been cleansed by the washing of the gospel. You are completely cleansed in Christ. And so Satan's condemning voice will come to you and bring up all of your sins. Just turn to this verse and say, uh-uh, having, I've been cleansed by the washing of water with a word. Now, when Satan's condemning voice uh, comes against you, says, God's mad at you, you, you're so filthy, that sort of thing, just don't listen to that, but rather listen to God's voice. You are cleansed completely. And at communion every week we celebrate that, what God has done for us in Christ. All righty. That's the third verb, uh, fourth verb. The fifth one, present so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. At the end of the age, he will present all of us, the church, to himself because Christ's heart is to present a church to himself, and that's going to include us, and it's going to be incredible. So all of that about Christ and the church, but his deeper meaning, really, of course, he's talking about marriage. That's where he starts off. Husbands, love your wives this way, this way. And in fact, uh, the verse right after this one, he makes it completely explicit that this includes Christ's heart to sanctify his bride, to make his bride holy and glorious. This includes it in marriage. Because in 28, he says, right after talking about sanctifying and presenting his wife, he says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives. That is, the way Christ loved his wife, sacrificial love, and with the goal of making her holy and Christ-like. So husbands, here is our purpose as husbands in marriage. This is what marriage is about. By implication, wives, charge to you. This is what your marriage is about, helping your spouse become more and more like Jesus Christ in all of his splendor and beauty. Helping your spouse become full of love, joy, peace, patience, and all those things. Helping your spouse love Jesus more, love one another more. This is the glory of marriage. It is not meant, the purpose of marriage is not to accumulate possessions. It's not to garner accomplishments. It is to develop persons into the glory of Jesus Christ. That is God's heart for every single one of us as believers. That's your purpose, and that is the specific purpose for marriage, to show the great glory of Jesus Christ in our actual lives. It's interesting when Paul says, husbands, love your wives, and he'll say it three times in the passage. He doesn't choose the normal Greek word used at that time in that culture, which was phileo, uh, used in stuff like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. It was kind of a more, a more uh, it's kind of it's a weaker word, phileo. Uh, he, t- he takes a word that is used of God's kind of unconditional sacrificial love, agape. And he says, all right, that's the way you love her. Not this weak, flimsy love over here, but a committed, relentless, never give up, sacrificial, other-centered, selfless kind of love that is out for her good no matter what. And what is her good? Ultimately, it is being more more and more like Jesus Christ. That is the glory of marriage. Just love that way. What will that mean if not um, putting her first, living for her, Um, 
focused on her welfare and happiness, and conversely for the wives, living for him, focused on him, focused on his welfare and good. Last week, I talked about the numbers of ways that this kind of love is going to be expressed in marriage, and I highlighted forgiveness. And I did so uh, for a couple of reasons. One is because the great picture of God's love for us is the cross, which is all about forgiveness. You know, that's where it starts, forgiveness of all our sins. But I also did because it is probably the biggest wrecker of marriage, the greatest poison of marriage. And we just had this incredible video testimony about the power of forgiveness because it is so essential. You may not have had as big a case as the house had, but we all need forgiveness just about every day when it comes to marriage for little things and big things. And you don't have a chance to build this kind of marriage without forgiveness, without being a great forgiver. This is Christ-like love, being great forgivers, loving this way. So the charge is to be a great forgiver. Sacrifice your pride and relinquish your anger. So when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, here's the purpose, to love your wife, that you might sanctify her, that she might be glorious, Christ-like, beautiful. He might present her as a, as a beautiful bride to himself. So husbands, that is our explicit goal in marriage. Help that woman become more and more like Jesus Christ. And vice versa, for wives, help that man become more and more like Jesus Christ. Because that is her highest good, and that is his highest good. Now, by the way, Christians want this for everybody. We want this for all Christians. I see Justin out there, and uh, I want to stimulate Justin to love and good deeds. Hebrews 10 and all the, all the New Testament. But Justin and Lauren, that's their very purpose in marriage. Here is the glory, the purpose, and the beauty of marriage right here. Filled with Christ-like love. Christ-like loveness. Tim Keller in his book on marriage that I've been recommending out at our marriage table, The Meaning of Marriage, quotes his wife Kathy who often says that most people when they are looking for a spouse are looking for a finished statue when they should be looking for a wonderful block of marble. Not so you can create the kind of person you want, but that you, because you can see what kind of person Jesus is making. Then he tells about Michelangelo creating the statue of the David, and he said, he's asked how he did that, and he said, well, I took away every bit of that marble that wasn't David. And in some ways, that's what marriage, we look inside the person, see what God is doing, and we're part of that process of liberating that, that real person inside who's going to become one day more and more like Jesus Christ. This process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, the biblical term, theological term, sanctification or sanctify. C.S. Lewis talked about sanctification when he said, if we let him, if we let God, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or a goddess, a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love that we cannot imagine, a bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though, of course, on a smaller scale, His own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for, nothing less. God will make you like Jesus Christ one day. And right now, He wants to use the stresses and the pressures of your life to, to accelerate that process more and more. And one of those stresses and pressures of life 
near the top of the list is marriage. God uses marriage like few other things to make us like Jesus Christ. Let me describe how that works. Okay, just say that one of my flaws when I, as I got married was that I, I wasn't good at forgiving. Just say I, just, I held grudges and, and resentments. Now, how is that going to work in my life in general? Well, my coach and my teammates on the running team, they're going to be fine with it. They're not going to like it, but they're going to be fine with it. I'm going to have a few friends over the years that are just going to walk away from the friendship because they get tired of that. But I'll have some that will just put up with it. But when I marry Gail, and it turns out that I'm not a good forgiver and I hold grudges and resentments in my self-righteousness, that's not going to work for Gail because she's married to me. And uh, if she's going to stay married to me, something's got to give. And so if I've got a tender heart for God, this is what will give. I will apologize to Gail, yes, when she points it out lovingly, gently. Uh, she points it out. Uh, I, I will con- I'll, I'll admit, yeah, yeah you're right. I, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And I will also apologize to God and ask God, would you help me? Because I'm not very good at this. Would you help me? And you know what's going to happen after a lot of weeks and months and years of that? Is I'm going to become more and more forgiving. And that is God's process of marriage. To someone pointing out to you, hopefully lovingly, pointing out to you some of your challenges, who is for you, who loves you, and you respond to God and God makes you more like Jesus. Okay, that's for married couples. What about those who aren't married? God doesn't have everybody married. Paul wasn't married. Jesus didn't get married. So what about those folks? Well, I would recommend strongly that you get two or three people that you trust, that love you, that are around you, and invite this kind of feedback. They don't have to because they don't live with you, but if you invite it, you're going to make a lot more progress spiritually. And by the way, even if you are married, I'd encourage you to do the same thing. Ask two or three. If you're a man, ask two or three men. Invite your your lives. We're going to see a lot more spiritual growth and transformation if we would have that kind of courage and that kind of boldness. So this is the way it works. How, how do we specifically help that process? Well, I got five or six things. Well, we, we've got to lovingly confront. I'm talking about marriage now and helping your spouse become like Christ because that's, that's love. That's the purpose of marriage. So if in marriage I lovingly confront Gail and she lovingly confronts me, that's going to be the atmosphere. And if we're great forgivers of one another, that's going to just, you know, seed that atmosphere to be fertile soil for transformation. If we're fervently loving one another, it's a safe environment. And we can love back. Certainly it's going to include praying for each other. I mean, that'd be the top of our list of uh, me praying for Gail, Gail praying for me, and that's uh, because God's got the power here. Uh, Certainly, he's going to use the Bible in that because God uses the Bible to transform our lives. So that's going to be part of our lives. But maybe more than anything, if I want to help my spouse be all that she can be, he can be for Christ, then, then I need to be the example of somebody who loves Jesus with all my heart. I mostly need to set, set the pace. I mostly need to be an example of someone who is loving Jesus with all his heart. And that's why on the very first week of this series on marriage, in the context of the husband is the head of the wife, um, how do, what's that mean? How do I become the head in this family? And I boil it down to one simple thing. 
and I believe this. This is how I become the head of my house. I pursue Jesus Christ with all I got. That's it. It's not more complicated than that because if I pursue Jesus Christ with all my heart, everything else is going to fall into place. It just will. And so, husbands who are here, what do you need to do? To love your wife the way Christ loved the church that is for her ultimate glory and transformation? Be the man that God has called you to be and vice versa for wives. I began with the John Brigner story because it has so much impact upon us. And also, I want to encourage you that every married couple could use a John Brigner in their life. Uh, everybody who's got a perfect marriage here, raise your hand. No perfect couples here. All of us could grow. Everybody could use a John Brigner. We've got three layers of help for marriages here. Here they are. And by the way, the three layers of help for every person. Every person needs this kind of help. First of all, we have freedom prayer, or you could call it healing prayer. Healing prayer is when you get along with God, and we've got somebody that will help walk you through that. And uh, you ask God to bring to light things that need to be uh, brought to light and expose areas of lies that you're believing and anger that you've buried and things like that. Gail and I have done this extensively, and it has been so powerful in our lives. We all have stuff in our lives that we need to be healed by God. Go to our website under Care Prayer, Equip Care Prayer, and find Freedom Prayer. It is so valuable. Everybody at Wood's Edge ought to do healing prayer and our Freedom Prayer. Secondly, lay counseling. That is, some trained people at Wood's Edge who will meet with you and help you walk through some things. Let me remind you, John Brigner was a lay counselor. You don't have to be a professional counselor always. Uh, these lay counselors here at Woods Edge are, are help people all the time, and it's free. Thirdly, for certain things, we do want to prefer, refer you to professional counselors, and we got a whole list of them inside and outside of Woods Edge, those three things. Every couple, every person could benefit from that sort of thing. Okay, final thing. Um, let me urge you, if you are married, to, to get along with your spouse sometime later today or tomorrow and ask a question. How can I help you love Jesus more? How can I help you grow more and more like Christ? What could I do to help that process? See what they say. Okay? Stand with me. Let me pray over you. Lord God, would you please bless every single person here in every way to become more and more Christ-like because, Lord, we need your help. We need it. Lord God, would you please heal and strengthen marriages at Wood's Edge? Oh, God, we pray that we would have this church be full of marriages that are scandalous, scandalously rich and good. Bring deep-hearted forgiveness and goodness. Lord God, we bless you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.